This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. This is ContactTalkRadio.com, consciousness in action, and you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. That Naturopathic Podcast, TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Okay. This is a doozy. Welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. This is Dr. Kara. And this is Dr. Dave. And Kara, in the midst of the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic, ironically, we know that today, as a podcast, we've made it. Yes, we have. We made it. And <laughs> We and totally we made that? it. Because <laughs> our guest today, the, 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 the circumstances couldn't have been better. In the middle of COVID-19, we have Dr. Paul Anderson on our podcast today. And Dr. Paul Anderson is, um, if you don't know about him, um, your naturopath does. Every single naturopath will know about uh, Dr. Anderson or Uncle Grandpa Paul, as I call him. I don't know if he likes that, but I call him that anyway. Um, he has got a lot of credentials that we could go on and say he's a professor uh, at Bastyr University. He uh, basically teaches naturopaths how to be natural, uh, better naturopathic doctors with uh, extensive uh, training online with uh, consultdranderson.com. Um, tell he's us the, more. He's the expert that your expert goes to. He, yeah, like if, if Dr. Paul says it's a go, then it's a go. And um, he is, I, I'm going to say he's the shining star. There's probably a couple, but he is probably the shining star of our profession. And I am like a giddy little tween. Yeah, you have um, a bromance going on here. I do. I have a total <laughs> bromance for Dr. Paul. He may not know it, but I do. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, we could be very official, but really, let me just tell you that this is the man and we need the man right now because we are in a serious, uh, sort of crisis across the world. And I'm just so grateful to have you on Dr. Anderson. Well, thank you very much. Uh, that's, that's a very kind intro. Um, and I, you know, I, I would just, I would just say that there's, I, I there's a number of shining stars, I think in our profession i just i just talk a lot so that may that may be part of it but uh there's there's a lot to do a lot behind the scenes who we don't hear about so i, I don't want anything coming after me 
<laughs> the Shining Star Committee. You don't want those people after you, right? Well, all the real Shining Stars are humble, so yeah, you've just proved it. Exactly, exactly. So, so Dr. Paul, um, let's just jump right into this topic. Give us, because you're, you're down in the States. Uh, where I are you am. joining us from? So, I am in Seattle, Washington. My clinic is in Seattle, which is sort of in a sense, ground zero, although now New York has more cases, et cetera, but that's a function of statistics and testing rather than reality. Uh, so I'm in Seattle. Uh, my clinic's in Seattle. I live in Seattle, although I, I normally travel a lot right now. I'm not traveling at all, obviously, but um, the uh, uh, being here in Seattle during all of this stuff going on uh, with, with COVID and with kind of Literally from where I'm sitting right now, about 1.2 miles, uh, so a couple of kilometers away from us right now, is the hospital where the first patient that we knew about uh, was treated and, and eventually released. So it's this is real personal um, to the degree that uh, we've actually had to close our clinic for a couple of weeks uh, because the the government is very here is very worried about running out of supplies and we are an interventional clinic we do we do interventions uh, so we have and we could argue but we voluntarily closed just so we can do that we're doing telemedicine uh, with our patients so um, which is great except you can't do the interventions we do that way so this is a real close to home thing uh, people who've been watching it and I only bring this Sadly, we've made the national and international news for a lot of, uh, we, we had an outbreak, have an outbreak in a uh, care facility for elders and rehab at, where a large number of them have passed away. And I've, I've been involved with a family who has a, posit a COVID positive member there and trying to help out where we can. So, uh, a lot of real, like, Every day there's something that personally affects me and my practice or my consulting with other doctors. So it's, uh, I know you just asked where I was, but it's, I'm in the middle of a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. And what have you been up to then, uh, Paul? Like, I, I just want, I know that you sort of present uh, all over the world. And so maybe you could tell us a little bit of uh, what you've been up to lately. Yeah. So, um, number of things. Uh, there's a few levels of, of things I try and do, uh, like outwardly. There's a lot of, you know, research and writing, and I do that uh, a lot. But um, I, have a, I have a podcast for uh, aimed at patients uh, that, that I started for my patients, and then it sort of took off. And the last three weeks, we've pretty much talked about, you know, COVID and, and immunity and how the body fights things and or does um, and uh, and tried to update people. That's not what I normally do. Usually it's a little bit more broad. Um, there are uh, uh, there's an international group that I did. A, a, most people have heard about the Chinese uh, experiments using intravenous vitamin C with their patients in the ICU. Um, and then actually they're also using oral vitamin C, a whole bunch of stuff. So there's an international group that's very interested in that. And, uh, and they donated the logistics and I donated the time uh, and put, I put on a, uh, a, a webinar around the world about that to try and be a resource, mostly for physicians who are 
on the edge of curiosity who might want to know that there's data. Uh, but a lot of other people tuned in too. There were thousands actually. Um, and the thing about that that we can circle back around to though is right now in the North, North America anyway, we're getting a lot of kind of secondary reports that are good, but they're like, okay, this is happening in China and that's happening in China. Um, what I did for that just to be as clean as possible from a, you know, cause I, I want to report accurately and I, and because I have a background doing that same therapy in research in America, North America, um, I, I want to be really accurate because I know the technicalities of that. So I actually got the Chinese hospital documents, uh, which sadly were in Mandarin, but now we can get things translated fairly easily. And so translated as many as I could. So I knew exactly what they were doing. And then I was able to present that. So that's one thing. Uh, on so Paul, that's all, that's all recent, recent evidence uh, from uh, like since Wuhan sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, documents as recent as the, I think I presented it on the 19th and documents were as recent as the 18th. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, now I don't, I want to be clear, I do not read Mandarin. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise I, me I, if you did. <laughs> I, I wish, I, my book is printed in Mandarin. I have a beautiful <laughs> Mandarin version, but uh, but but I, I, I can get translation services and things. And 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 there's so much information from China and from the hospitals that they've done a great job with. It's and obviously they have so many cases, you know, but they've kept track of things that are very enlightening. Like this is something that's it's a, it's extreme. It's caused them to even even for a non North American hospital to think outside the box, keep people alive, and um, they have less, you know, uh, maybe. Uh, maybe hurdles to get over with respect to something like vitamin C or whatever, but the data that they're having and showing, you know, shortening of hospital stay and pulling people out of crises and stuff is, is amazing. Um, so, so that's another project I've done. Now, what I didn't realize that would do is every hospital in the United States who's curious about this now wants all that information. And, and I, so uh, when I get off with you guys, I'm uh, I'm going back to doing that for Americans. So, so there's that. Um, I, I have a CE website for doctors that I did an update just generally on the on this particular type of virus and treatment, uh, and and then that's also led to a lot of uh, there's a lot of public um, you know podcasts that are very for patient facing podcasts. I'm doing interviews with. So, so that's. Uh, Here's the thing. Last week, um, I had scheduled last year to have last week completely off, and, and I was going to go somewhere with my family and do nothing. Uh, because of the travel problems, we had already canceled going. And then it was like someone turned on this weird uh, cosmic COVID faucet, and I, I had like, I started at eight o'clock Monday morning and I haven't stopped since uh, doing stuff around this. So, so that's what I'm doing in my spare time right now. And you, you talked about hurdles and I thought it would maybe a good opportunity to talk of one hurdle that we should all acknowledge is that this is not intended. This podcast, Dr. Anderson, Dr. Kara and me is not meant to, meant to be individualized uh, medical advice. And I think it's, we'll probably say it a couple of times, right, Doc? Yeah. A few times. Yeah. I'll say it. I think, you know, I've, I've gotten, so I just say that all the time now. Um, 
none of us are, are probably anyone's doctor. And what I would say is if I am actually your doctor, you know it, and we've had a private conversation. <laughs> yes. uh, so if we have not had a private conversation, I'm, uh, I am reporting on things that maybe other people don't have easy access to. Uh, I can tell you personally, you know, my ideas about things, but in no way should you take this as medical advice. What you need to do is see somebody who's aware of what we're going to talk about, such as naturopathic doctors, and um, and then there's some other good integrative people. But you you have to go to someone who's an expert in what we're talking about, and that would start with naturopathic doctors and then work your way out uh, in order to get the right advice. And you need the right advice. Yeah, I always say the wisdom of one approach does not preclude the wisdom of another approach. And you know, sometimes we we all need to like hold hands, get together, and say, what are we good at? And uh, instead of just like clamping down, uh, you know, uh, with draconian sort of measures. But um, uh, one, one thing I wanted to uh, make sure we talk about, uh, Paul, is that there's this whole, you know, there's a few different um, ways of looking at, at COVID or any sort of, let, let's just talk about viral uh, load or viral, in, viral infectious diseases in general. You've got your sort of uh, asymptomatic prevention stage. Right. And then you've got this, okay, I'm, I've got something to some degree sick. So those are our first two stages. And then you've got the, well, the, the shit has hit the proverbial fan uh, and you're probably going to end up in the hospital. At least those three sort of broad areas. It's, it's like, we know what to do when, when uh, the shit hits the fan, but there's so many of us in those first couple stages. Do you want to like set up those stages a little bit and, and talk about the differences in maybe in approaching the first couple? Yes. Um, so, so I think it's important that right now in, in we're, you know, we're doing this late March, 2020. So if you're listening in a future date, maybe things will be different and we'll know more or be more informed. But right now, the biggest problem that we have is there are, uh, there are people who are asymptomatic who don't have COVID-19. There are people who are asymptomatic and feeling healthy who do. And you can't tell them because they don't look any different. And so the biggest problem from a point of view of, you know, you as an individual is if you don't have symptoms and you don't know with the, you know, with the low amount of testing that we have, you're not going to be prioritized to be tested um, unless you have, you know, you're a work for the government or something like that, or you're a healthcare worker. The biggest thing right now, though, is if you have no symptoms, that's really great, and you want to stick with that, and we'll, we'll get to kind of how to do that or how to support that. But I think one of the best things I heard from a public health point of view is if you have no symptoms, you need to really act like you might still be a carrier because here's the thing we really don't know, and there's a little bit maybe uh, because the Chinese have more info and the definitely the South Koreans have more info. Um, what we don't know is there is a pool of people who are are positive testing, but either have low symptoms or no symptoms, okay, which happens with all infections, right? Or many, not all. So I think that we have to be cautious. That's why we're doing social distancing and you know, all that business that we're doing. That's very important. Um, so I think if you don't know what status you are and you don't have symptoms, we're going to be really happy about that but we still want to be careful around other people and vice versa. So 
But let's say that you uh, know that you're exposed or positive, but you have no symptoms. That really, then that ups, you know, that really ups the ante as far as being preventive uh, and, and, and doing the underlying things that help your health as much as possible. Um, and what I try and tell people is whether you're positive with no symptoms or positive with early, middle, or late symptoms, it doesn't matter. You still need to do the good stuff that keeps you healthy all the way through. Now, if you're in a hospital ICU, you're only going to do what you can do there. But excluding that, you have to do the basics no matter what. And, and I would extrapolate that to people who test negative. You, you, uh, you can't just start living a horrible lifestyle if you test negative just because there's a lot of other things you can get to. And those are the, uh, I think, one to pause because those messages of, you know, social isolation, washing your hand, you know, we are hearing that and, and hopefully it's beat over our head enough that, that, that it's making a big difference. Um, and, and I do think people understand that. But as, as we chatted about, a big part of the missing conversation is, you know, yes, we're trying to prevent the virus from spreading, but how do we support kind of our host terrain? And that's what you're talking about with mm -hmm. those foundations of supporting our base health. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's very critical. And I think just it, it's and it's, uh, I don't think anything we're about to talk about it. Someone's going to say, gee, I've never thought about that before. Maybe. But um, I think what happens and it's human nature. And I know I've dealt with it with patients a lot, but also doctors is, um, some of the things that are basic seem so either obvious or in a lot of my patients' minds, I know when I would talk to them personally about some of these things, they would almost feel like, well, how much difference is that really going to make? You know, um, and, and when we get to the list of things, you'll see that. But like that's an underlying either stated or unstated thing in a lot of people's mind is, yeah, you know, or gee, everyone in my house is sick. Is it really going to make a difference if I stop eating donuts today or whatever. Um, and and it, it, it actually does. So I think that just, you know, whether, whether we want to embrace it or not, or whether we think it's not worthwhile or it is, I think it's more important to focus on some of the basic things than most of us will, you know, uh, will verbalize. Uh, and, and there's definitely, because I just talked to some people yesterday in different situations, there are definitely people that are like, oh man, this is so bad. I'm, I don't even want to think about those basic things, um, which again is human nature when we're mm -hmm. in crisis. But, um, you know, things like the stuff that we have to do anyway with our physical body um, to have it operate the best possible way it can. You know, these are like, oh, say so it's like what your grandma probably told you. Um, or your sleep, naturopath. Right, or, or your naturopath, <laughs> or your grandma naturopath, or whatever. Uh, you know, sleeping enough. You know, people are are largely, a lot of these things we're about to talk about, people are not doing enough of. Uh, sleeping enough. And when there's a big crisis, people don't sleep as well, and I get that. But uh, sleep and immunity has very, very close connection. And um, you just, like you have to rest enough and you have to be cautious about your, uh, you know, about your schedule to the degree you can. Um, the other one is uh, people are chronically dehydrated and um, people who think that they're well hydrated usually are not. 
I, I can just categorically say that. Um, we have um, uh, in our clinic where, well, when it when it's not closed due to uh, the our state telling us we can't be open, we do a lot of IV therapy with people, and you get reactions with people when they're dehydrated, so you can kind of tell. And people will often say, "Well, no, no, I'm drinking all this water," and they're just terribly, terribly dehydrated. So, and people don't realize like hydration. It's like it's almost like, oh gosh, you know, you're yeah, whatever. Uh, but literally, because things like this and other viruses like to come in through our respiratory system the primary uh, defense that we have in our respiratory system is um, immune proteins that are in our mucus. And we want the mucus to be there with the proteins and we want it to be not too thick and not too thin. And we want it to kind of like, um, and I, I'm, this may be an outdated thing unless you grew up on a farm, but I always tell people it's like, it's like fly paper, the sticky stuff that flies go to and they stick on it. Um, I don't even know if they make that stuff anymore, but that's what these immune proteins are like. So I, I breathe bad stuff in all day, but my, if my mucous membranes are well hydrated and the proteins are there, they usually trap most of it. And that's why we're not sick all the time. One reason. Well, this virus, so coronaviruses generally, and uh, like most rhinoviruses and most influenza, et cetera, come in through the respiratory system. If you're dehydrated and you have break in that system it's they, they get in faster but the other thing is they more get in right and more is not better in this case so so like hydration is really that foundationally critical you know just just like sleep and your immunity but also how your brain's working and uh connected to your body like those two things are super important um and then the 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 one that no one wants to talk about like they'll they'll admit that maybe sleep and water are good um People really don't like to talk about what they eat uh, because it's, we eat for reasons that are totally not related to nutrition, mm -hmm. mostly. And when people get under stress, they they will stress eat in whatever direction that takes them. Many stress eating things are not the healthy, healthiest things in the world. Um, and you can just look at things like, you know, uh, a common stress eating thing is sugar sugar literally slows your primary immune cells down or stops them for large amounts of time after it's ingested. So you really do have to be careful, you know, about what you're eating and what you're drinking and all that stuff. Um, you know, people will say, well, do you have a quick, like, you know, what's the cliff note version of what I should eat? Um, Cause everyone has a different idea. One thing is just look at color in nature like if if nature has a lot of color uh in plants that it's showing you unless they're poisonous or something uh it's probably telling you there's a lot of base nutrients in there not just vitamins and minerals but a lot of the uh like polyphenolic compounds and flavonoids and things that we never used to think about but those are very important in immune function and it just and it comes from food you know to the degree you can get it um, you want to have stuff that's going to give you for the calories you take in, which you need for gross, you know, metabolism, you want as many nutrients and all these other goodies as you can get. So um, whether, it, you know, and, and we have geographic things, you know, you can't always get fresh stuff during the colder parts of the winter and all that stuff. So you do the best you can. 
but even frozen colorful things are, mm. are, still, are still good for you. Uh, we, you know, it, it, even here in the Northwest, we're not, it's harder to get, you know, a ton of fresh stuff. So just doing the best you can uh, with, you know, if you're going to go to the trouble to eat food, which you will, uh, doing yeah. the best you can to make sure that it's nutrient dense and, and just generally without even getting into specifics of it, uh, unless you really, really won't do it like getting people to eat more mushrooms and more of these other things that have a lot of other immune properties. Uh, you don't have to do a lot. Like you don't have to become, you know, a huge mushroom eater, but a little bit added into your life actually makes big immune differences. Mm -hmm. So just being mindful. Um, and uh, another one that I, we really don't probably want to get too deep into, but it, I, I have to say it cause you, you'll say it too. The more you can decrease the amount of chemical junk that comes in with the food you eat. So food isn't just about the nutrients and the, all this good stuff. Like food tends to have a lot of chemicals either in its processing or in its growing or whatever. And we can't get away from chemicals in the world we live in. But if you can minimize the number of those, um, you're also not like putting, you know, fuel on the fire of beating your immune system down. Uh, and, you know, you can, people will uh, say, well, you know, I, have to, I can't buy all organic or I can't do this or that, which I get. Um, you can go to environmental working group and they have a decent list of like the, the worst foods. So at least get these, you know, organically. The other thing you can do, if you do have local sources, you can go to a local market. Sometimes those are pretty good. Um, but, but at least, you know, lower the amount of of chemistry going into that your body was never meant to have. You know, those are just real basic things that um, seem simple, but if you do, you know, we eat every day, like most people, at least once, some people it's four or five times. That's a lot of stuff going through our body that we have to process. So the less it does negative and the more it does positive, it's way more of an effect on your, on your system than, than we really give it credit for. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, back a week ago, when we were still actually physically going to the grocery store <laughs> instead of ordering it online, uh, yeah. <laughs> my cart looks completely different. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, I understand the 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 fear and of shopping at that time, knowing you know you had to prepare enough food for your family. But the right. carts were full of like toilet paper and Lysol wipes and pop and chips and you know canned <laughs> Chef Boyardee. And I was going around with like the frozen mushrooms and peas and cauliflower and, you know, fresh yeah. produce. And, yeah. uh, and it seems, it seems obvious to me, but I, I, and you've said, you know, these things seem obvious, but they're not always the choices that either people know to make or do make. Yeah. Well, let, let yeah. me just jump in for a minute, uh, Paul, before you go on about that, because I just want to give uh, listeners like a bit of context to this. We're talking to, um, a guy who uses like some of the most advanced sort of interventions that are available. Um, and you're still talking about these basics. And I, I, I mean, if, if you'd have said, if someone else said those same basics, uh, it could be like someone who took like a lifestyle educator online program, no offense intended. Uh, but they, if they just said that thing, it might have had a little bit of weight for sure. Cause they're logical and they, they're you know in line with laws of nature and physiology, but Coming from you, I just want people to understand that means a lot because you're a guy who's doing IV, you're doing hyperbaric, you're doing like complex chronic disease 
of multiple co-infections, like words that people probably don't even maybe understand, let alone know how to address, that's your, that's your thing. And you still have this baseline of, of foundational things that need to be in place. And I just think that's really important for people to hear because otherwise it might just be like, yeah, yeah, drink, uh, drink water, eat nutrient-dense food, less bad, more good. But yeah, just to give some yeah. context to that. Yeah, th thank you for that. And, and it, I, I, it, since, because this actually relates, um, one thing that was really an eye-opener for me just because of what you just said and, and kind of my normal, uh, what I normally work with as far as the, the level of sickness and intervention, um, one of the things that really brought that home and made me, I mean, I've always said all this stuff, right? Cause we're, I mean, we, we have to, we're nature paths. But um, when I did, I was involved in some uh, government funded cancer research and there were many sub projects of groups in, in a group of people that we had that was, um, I don't know, probably around 15 people or so who nothing worked on, they were dying. So the, it was a really highly critical, like you can, you tell small things in those groups that make big differences because they, otherwise they just die. So one of the things that was the most remarkable when we look backwards at that group was we discovered some really interesting and very useful interventions to slow their cancer down. But the biggest thing that I came away with that changed like the, like it burned it into my brain was when I looked at the people who did, you know, everyone felt better. Okay. But when I looked at the people who either had a slowing down of the cancer that not, no drug, no natural thing had slowed down or, or went into remission or whatever, anyone who had a big positive effect versus the people that felt better, but died rather quickly the the major difference was whether they made primary dietary changes it was like without that the rest of the therapies like fell through like a sandy um you know foundation on a house or something like that and it and, and it's, it's something you know but like when you see it that stark that this this group of people they felt better but they died just as fast as they were supposed to um the only difference was that was yes, there was the dietary right. shifts and that's about immunity. I mean, so it doesn't matter whether it's cancer or infections or whatever. It's that potent. It's, mm -hmm. it's that important. Yeah. There's a, there's a phrase uh, that I heard in some literature <clears throat> in some, you know, some nerdy literature and it was uh, necessary, but not sufficient. And I, I love that idea meaning that, you know, you've got these foundations upon which other things will work better. They, they, they are necessary, but they're not sufficient in and of themselves. And right. It seems like uh, diet and lifestyle are sort of um, uh, keys to that, um, those foundational things that, that need to be in place for something else to work better, probably including drugs, I guess. I mean, what's, your, what's your comment on that? Like, do, uh, oh. do drugs and, and things like that work better in people that are generally healthier? Yeah, yeah, there's, you know, there's a couple of levels of things there. Um, all of those basic things uh, are, the, the predicate uh, into which your body is going to operate. And so if, if you are very ill and you need a drug to treat X, Y, or Z, if your body can handle the drug better and process it and all that, which is based on these basics, 
you are more likely to not have as many side effects to probably be able to tolerate the full dose of the drug, all that business. So yeah, I mean, it's not just like nutrient therapies and cool other things. It's like even medications, et cetera. Um, and the other thing about that is, um, and this is something that you know may come up a little bit later, but just as a, a entree, one of the things that I've seen clinically over and over and over, but also in the in the Chinese documents from the hospital that I was getting and and am getting still and looking at what they're doing and all that, uh, because I really did need to get primary source material. Um, the idea of uh, of comorbidity, which sounds really horrible, but the, it's just the idea that the sicker you are and the more things you're carrying that are not good for you, the less likely a lot of treatments are to work. And if you have that, that's great. We just need, we need to treat you more carefully and all that. But what keeps you from being comorbid with all these other things, whether it's blood pressure or obesity, diabetes, the list is just getting longer and longer, uh, other infections, et cetera, what what tones those down are all these basic things. They they may not make them go away, but the less impact they have on you, then when you do get sick, uh, the whatever therapy goes into a system that has a chance to use the therapy. Um, if you have all this other stuff going on, and you, there's literally a lot of holes in the foundation or holes in the boat, you can just keep dumping stuff in on the top, whether it's drugs or natural things. It'll help but it's going to like, you can only give them so much. So yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And those, those big comorbid comorbidities that we're seeing, I mean, the foundational treatment of those is, is lifestyle therapies. Like the list you just said, hypertension, diabetes, <laughs> exactly. coronary disease, like yeah. the first yeah. line therapy for those yeah. either for prevention or, or treatment, at least in the beginning is fully lifestyle medicine. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking like if this pandemic just sort of, puts a magnifying glass on the same things. It's like the same sure. things that are important yeah. all the time yeah. are just now extra important. I mean, can you comment on that, Paul? Is there, yeah. any, is there any sort of truth to that or is that oversimplified? No, no. I think um, in a sense, if, you know, it's like, it's, it's hard to do this being in the middle of it. Uh, but if you take just one big step back and kind of look a little macroscopically at it, um, it has a lot of the same features of taking a step back from something like cancer, you know, something that's beyond our normal control to fully, you know, avoid or not have or get rid of or whatever. Um, and there's a spectrum of course of, you know, uh, susceptibility and all, all that business, but it's like, it's so, um, it's so, it's so rapidly on you this is a worldwide thing. It's, it's apparently a very virulent, you know, virus, uh, you know, like SARS or like the other ones that we've had. So we can't ignore it. We can't just say, well, only the old sick people are going to get it or whatever. Uh, now it, it like really, really does put a spotlight on, you know, and, and this is something in five years we'll mm -hmm. know about. And I have a feeling I know the way it's going to go, but what was it about the people who were positive but didn't get sicker than they did, you know, that was different? What was it about the people who were positive who got sick way fast that did? Now, to the credit of the the Chinese doctors in the various hospitals where I'm reading their 
uh, summaries and, and all this, um, they're keeping track of all of that. Like mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're to the degree they can. I mean, you know, they're, they're keep actions or these people bringing that aren't COVID with them. Mm -hmm. Does that mean they get sicker faster? You can probably guess the answer to that. Uh, how many, you know, how many other problems do they have? And, and so I think that while it'll be a while before we have data to say for sure, it just makes complete sense. And it's like, it's so quick. And, and those, are, you know, those who are testing negative or don't have uh, symptoms are interested in anything that would keep them as healthy as possible. Maybe you can't mm -hmm. avoid getting it, but uh, maybe you can avoid the, like the super aggressive, you know, type of version of it. So what do you do for that? And it's, it's all this stuff. Yeah. So can we jump off from there then? We've covered, you know, the importance of foundations, which... I mean, if naturopaths want to wave a flag, that's our, our flag we right, wave. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. um, if there's listeners who want to be a little bit more um, proactive, um, I, there's a lot of buzzwords of, you know, boosting the immune system and, you know, different vitamins flying around. So I would love for you to provide some context and ideas as to what is a good or not good idea. Okay, first, first though, oh, okay. we have to say, again, this is not meant to be taken as personalized, individualized medical advice from Dr. Anderson, Dr. Kara, or me. These are just things that make sense to people that know things. Because, and also the other caveat here too, is that they're really, I don't know, are, like it's a new virus. So, you know, the things you're going to talk about, we don't have meta-analyses and, and 30 randomized control trials on. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yes, keeping in mind that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody's doctor who's listening. Um, what I, what I normally do is uh, a, what we said earlier, please go to someone who's professional, who knows these things, not your family doctor, uh, your naturopathic doctor will know these things. Maybe some other types of profession will actually know the background and whether it's good for you or not. But what I can do is tell you, based on what I know, you know, what, what am I doing? What am I having my family doing? Uh, so we are uh, in, in the greater Seattle area, you know, Washington, Western Washington. We're not, we're not on a lockdown or shelter in place as of this time today. <laughs> uh, that could change, but we're on a very strongly worded don't go out of your house unless you absolutely have to. So, you know, we're here at, at, at our house uh, and I have uh, two adult children and then their children living here too. So we're all uh, for the duration of whatever. So I have a fair number of adults that I'm giving things to. Um, I think that the important thing though is it, you have to look at, okay, all those basics, this builds on it. Like these aren't magic. Mm -hmm. The things I'm going to talk to you about is Kara mentioned um, most of them now COVID virus has been around a long time, but there's like not a ton of uh, research on the things I'm going to talk to you about and this virus particularly, but it has a lot of relationship to other very bad things that maybe H1N1 or H5N1 that we have seen before. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to go through the list of, of what I, what I take and what most of the adults here are doing. And then you need to talk to your uh, local expert, like your naturopath about it. But 
uh, vitamin C, uh, that was, that was the, uh, topic of the, of the big international thing, because that's what they're doing in China and it's gotten people's attention, but an, an important thing, the cliff note version of, of that is, um, it's not just about the IV vitamin C it's, uh, which is very important. Um, it's, it's really about, um, a lot of what they're doing and talking about is they're giving people oral vitamin C both for prevention, but also during the early phases of symptomatic disease to, to try and blunt the activity. Now this has a lot of, uh, a lot of research that goes back to the at least the 1960s, and I actually have uh, publications from the 40s. There was, you know, even back then. But if you look at it, I always bring up vitamin C first because it's one of these things in our body that um, we don't make it, but we don't need a ton of it if we're super healthy. So, like on an average day, a healthy person, you know, might use two to 500 milligrams or something, but it's water soluble. So you need that every day. And you often can get that from food, et cetera. When humans get sick, their absorption of vitamin C goes way, way high. And so it's, and there, there's a lot of unknowns about actually in, in the big webinar I did, I did some, uh, there's some brand new data that just came out like the day before I did the webinar about absorption and sickness and stuff like that. But the punchline is um, vitamin C, you can tell when you get too much because your digestive system will give you loose stools or diarrhea. And there was a guy uh, who uh, I knew, uh, he's passed on now, but in the 70s, uh, he was a, a MD who had popularized a lot of Linus Pauling's work. And this was uh, Robert Cathcart, um, a medical doctor. And he published in 1981, he called it the, I, I forget the actual name now, but it was like the Balton's method of uh, oral vitamin C during illness. And it basically said, you take it divided doses through the day. If you're sick, you're going to suck a lot up and you won't have loose bowels. And when you start getting better, you need less. Okay. So remember we said healthy people, a few hundred milligrams, sick people can literally have grams and grams and grams going in and your body will soak it all up. And there's a lot of reasons for that. So what I always have patients do is start, if they're an adult, usually 500 milligrams uh, with each meal. And if that's fine on their tummy, then they can go to a thousand, et cetera. Um, I, uh, during times like this, I just use a powder because it tastes like citrus and I put it in my water. And uh, I'm taking about three or 4,000 milligrams three or four times a day. And, and that's, my body is soaking it up like crazy. Um, now, you don't start there because you will probably have a lot of diarrhea, but vitamin C is really foundational because every day you need a new batch. Okay. So that's, and it's cheap, et cetera. The other one that is very foundational that we do, we have in our body, but gets very taxed during these times, especially with respiratory virus is N-acetylcysteine. So cysteine is an amino acid that's, uh, it does a ton of things. The two things I think related to this type of infection um, are, uh, one is it supports glutathione, which is a primary antioxidant that we use more when we're sick. Um, and then the other is that it helps the mucus. Remember we talked about the, fl the fly paper idea of mucus membranes. It helps the mucus, uh, be produced, but not get so sticky that we have trouble breathing, et cetera. So it actually, and there's, there's many other things they're discovering currently about 
cysteine, um, but it really, really helps with the ability to um, keep the respiratory defenses up and also not have you get so stuffy that you, you know, become a better, uh, a better host for anything, especially a virus. So N-acetylcysteine kind of, I just have people take most of this like with each meal because then they can remember it. Uh, it usually comes in 500 milligram or a thousand milligram capsules, uh, 500 to a thousand with each meal is kind of standard uh, during the illness time. I think that um, one is such an undervalued. Yeah. Every time I look at the research on that for various things, whether it's mental health or bronchitis um, or uh, liver trichotillomania yeah <laughs> the research on that one is psychoses <laughs> whatever Tylenol poisoning Tylenol overdose is what you get yeah well, NAC is one of those ones that actually made it it made it into the hospitals right yes. they use it for acetaminophen uh, overdose right mm -hmm. oh it's, yeah it's it actually um it, it's actually probably been used in hospitals uh it, well it's used for two things in hospitals one is uh, people on ventilators when the mucus gets too thick. There, there's in America, we, the drug's called mucamus, which is just liquid NAC. Mm -hmm. And it's been used for decades for people to keep their, keep their secretions thin. And then the other, uh, they, they realize, well, we already have this drug and, and it actually fixes or helps fix the Tylenol overdose. So yeah, it's one of the few. And the reason I like to start with vitamin C and NAC is they're, they're, um, they're quite inexpensive. Uh, they're very, you know, we go through a lot when we're sick or when we're fighting off the other people's bugs. And they're just so foundational and they do so many things. It's like for, you know, I, I kind of have the list prioritized in the direction of if I can only afford two things or three things, what mm -hmm. would I take? Uh, and, and I would start with the things that, that do the most. And really vitamin C and AC are uh, just crazy helpful all over the body. So yeah, yeah. Um, now, do people need to know, because this freaks people out, so NAC is a sulfur-containing amino, and it smells like kind of like eggs or sulfur. You might pee sulfury smelling or whatever. That doesn't mean anything bad. It's just, it's biology. Uh, so don't, don't think you're having a problem if that happens, because uh, that, that that's, happens. Um, <laughs> The next two are ones that there's uh, a lot of, uh, I call it internet controversy, um, for lack of a better word. Uh, but I, I can tell you that I did. So beyond the vi uh, vitamin C update thing that went around the world, I did a physician update on COVID with, it was everything but vitamin C essentially. And there was a lot of, uh, a lot of allopathically trained doctors joined on that, that wouldn't normally listen to me for anything else. When I got to the next two nutrients, because of the training that a lot of us get on um, nutritional interventions, et cetera, this freaked people out because of a lot of fear around things. So I just want to preface by saying, I'm going to tell you some things about the next two nutrients that are very well grounded in my using them for decades with people with Definitely H1N1, uh, definitely a number of other nasty, nasty respiratory things, and also um, in ways that people have been now uh, made afraid of. And it's not because of real data, it's because of people not being thoughtful about their use. So I just want to preface by saying that. And again, I'm not giving anyone medical advice. You take this to your naturopath or anybody and you'll 
uh, they'll they'll sort it out for you. Normal. But vitamin A, A and D are super important acutely. So just like I was saying, like with vitamin C, when when you need it, you're going to absorb a lot, and then when you don't need it, you don't. So don't take more. This we're talking about vitamin A and D during this preventive or maybe early therapeutic time that might be a couple months, three months, four months. Um, and so um, things to consider are if you are uh, most people think of vitamin A and you get a supplement, usually it's made of carotenoids, which are the plant version, which are great, but they don't work for this. So you need the, the fat version. Uh, fat version is usually a retinoid, retinal palmitate or retinoic uh, type of uh, molecules. And the reason for that is, is that uh, number one, your body doesn't have to go through any biochemistry to break that down. Number two, it's going to go specifically into the uh, epithelial cells, which your lung and respiratory system are. And it does a lot of stuff for the nucleus in those cells to keep it working and spunky and happy. So um, vitamin A specifically in a fatty form, usually we'll have people do uh, 25 or more thousand units a day. Now, this is the point where a lot of the um, more allopathically trained doctors started to lose their minds on the webinar mm -hmm. and they were like thinking we're going to give everyone liver failure and stuff. And really you can't do that short term. If you have liver problems or whatever, you need to be working with a doctor anyway, and you, you probably should have them give you dosing for that. Uh, and vitamin D, mo most vitamin D's kind of gotten sexy in the last 15 years. So people are kind of on it and using it. Um, during illness times, I'll kick mine up to 15 or 20,000 also. There's another really efficient way to get it that uh, we used to use a lot more than I think we do now, and that's cod liver oil. Uh, just look for a clean source of cod liver oil, meaning it's not full of PCBs or you know other things uh, that fish bioconcentrate. Nice thing with cod liver oil is A and D comes together. It's kind of the way nature puts it into the fish and all that. Um, and it's uh, it's simpler to take. Um, and it's, uh, it's a really, really good source that a lot of people use as long as you get a clean source. So if you want to, like you're trying to lower pill count, uh, a good cod liver oil supplement would be great. Some people have it in liquid where they'll take like a, you know, a spoonful, five or 10 mils. Um, you just want to make sure it's it's really fresh when you do that. Um, I had some bad childhood experiences with cod liver uh -huh. oil. It got old and it wasn't very good. Uh, they were well, trying then to are, are these all still like sort of like uh, prevent? You're you're still we're still in like the just to put some context here. This is just sort of like standard prevention uh, that you're doing day to day with your family and, and people. Yeah, this, this is the stuff that. Um, the goal of it is, is you, you, there's no way to know who, who or what you're going to be exposed to. We know there's a high mass of exposure available and it's a very virulent, you know, even just the one, you know, virus we're talking about very virulent. So this is just to be extra like on guard for, for our biology and our immunology during the time. What we don't know and what we can't say is, does this extrapolate to if I do all this good stuff, but I still get infected, will I have a better time with the infection, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the answer is generally yes, but, but I, I don't think it's uh, probably medically or statistically wise to say for sure. You know, like we got some good data on vitamin C and other stuff like that, but can you extrapolate that to an individual's experience? 
probably not. But I would rather do it all and be preventive. And then if I do develop something, maybe at least experience a lower grade version of it than, you know, someone who's not taking care of this stuff. So yeah, we're, we're still, we're at either prevention or kind of mitigating the early to middle, uh, you know, uh, symptoms and signs and things that you would get. Yeah. So A and D I think are terribly important. Now I did have uh, on one of the public things I did, uh, someone said, well, I take a vitamin D that, that has vitamin K2 in it, which is a great idea because they work together. Is that okay? And the answer is yes. If, if you're, if you have a D K2 combo, uh, which a lot of people do for their bones and other stuff like that. Uh, that's even actually probably better. Um, and uh, probably if you look real hard in cod liver oil, you might even see a little bit of vitamin K in that too. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, now, the next, every every mineral and trace mineral is important for your whole body, but especially your immune system. But the one that is uh, in the news uh, <laughs> and is actually in the news for a good reason is zinc. And so zinc, normally we don't need a ton of, kind of like vitamin C. Um, and zinc, normally we're concerned about zinc and copper kind of going together in a you know little bit of copper, a lot of zinc. But during prevention and during respiratory illnesses, and especially this one, now that we know a lot about the, uh, the replication of the virus inside your cell and how the mechanics and all that, zinc, uh, if your zinc levels are low, you actually will replicate the virus faster. Most people's zinc levels aren't terribly high. And so what we're recommending people do is get a source of zinc on top of their, say, multi-mineral or whatever they're taking or the food they eat. That's around 50 milligrams a day, maybe 75 for this two to three month period. The caveat I always tell people is uh, um, zinc, if, when you take it in higher doses, you want to make sure you're eating while you take it so it digests mm -hmm. with your food. If a zinc capsule or a tablet sticks to your um, uh, stomach lining, you'll you'll throw up. Like it's 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 a pretty uh, the stomach lining and zinc don't get along very well. So um, just with that caveat I, and everything I've talked about, just take it in the middle of your meal while you're eating. You'll you'll do better. Trust me. Uh, but zinc, most multis or min multi minerals aren't going to have 50 to 75. So we usually add you know, that, and you, you also could certainly, you know, selenium's kind of next in line, but what I usually tell people is look at what you're taking. If you are, if you got some good multi-nutrient thing, often there's trace minerals. If you don't see zinc and selenium and uh, chromium and stuff like that, you don't have any trace minerals. You're going to need to get some, but there's a lot of good multi-trace mineral you, know, you can add just one capsule a day and, and it'll cover the rest of them. But zinc, you need more. Now, just so people know, because this is like in the news every minute now, the reason that some of the malaria drugs are being proposed as treatment and they're using them in China is that they actually uh, allow the zinc to get into the cell where the virus is replicating. The problem with zinc when you take it is it's good to have more around so that's not a problem but for antiviral purposes you want it to go into the cell well some of these malaria drugs actually kind of open a gate for zinc to get in mm. um there's a there's a lot of other things that do that um quercetin uh which is part of those colorful foods by the way uh mm -hmm. helps with that uh, a lot of other natural things too so so zinc is that important and then in minerals and then i usually just put a 
plug-in for whoever you're working with, uh, usually say a naturopathic doctor, et cetera, maybe an herbalist, maybe Chinese medicine specialist. There's a number of herbs that are very helpful for, again, immune tonification, stuff like that. Um, you probably can't find uh, Sambucus elder uh, right now because everyone in the world bought it. Uh, and uh, that's the one thing about that I always say is uh, if you have children, I don't know, you may hear clumping. I have grandchildren here today. Mm-hmm. Um, well, every day right now they're, they're with me. Um <laughs> But children will not a peaceful uh, isolation. Yeah, no, no, it's it's very socially interact. I am not lonely at all. No, <laughs> good because uh, loneliness is not good for your immune system. No, no, I, I have uh, no problems being not lonely. Um, <laughs> so uh, black elder, though, in, in its syrup form, is actually very good, and um, kids will actually take it, which is mm-hmm. which is a rate limiting step for treating most children. So I usually tell people, at least for the children, if you can get some of that. Uh, but also there's, you know, there's broader herbs like neem is a common Ayurvedic type herb that's, that's good for most uh, viral and infectious things. And the other thing I'll just put a plug in, I'm not going to give any advice other than to say that what they've, and imagine this now, in China, what they found is, is that traditional Chinese medicine is extremely good at slowing down the front end of the disease, but also helping in the recovery side. And in the data that I'm getting from the hospitals, actually, they list what they're doing in their top Chinese remedies, et cetera. What I usually tell patients and people who ask is that, like a lot of things, is extre- it's, it's a holistic integrated treatment. So you don't just like go by XY Chinese, uh, you know, remedy. You, you have someone look at you constitutionally, work with you that way and treat you constitutionally. And they're, they're saying the same thing in China. They're just saying, well, it tends to be these constitutions that have more of this. So, but the upside of what I would say is what I'm hearing from around the world, because I, I know people elsewhere, um, is in countries where they do Ayurveda, which is, is uh, 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 you know, thousands of years old and works on constitutions very differently, but just like Chinese medicine, that's helping people and symptomatically and in recovery and maybe in pre- prevention. In places they do traditional Chinese medicine, same thing. Uh, I, have, I have a lot of friends in uh, South Korea and um, none in North Korea, oddly, but in South Korea who are in medicine. Uh-huh. And in South Korea, they have traditional Korean medicine, which is really just traditional Chinese medicine, but they won't call it that. So uh, that's a whole other discussion. But um, uh, but that's very helpful there. Okay, um, and and so anywhere you go, and we have you know we have we have traditional um, you know native Western herbal medicine that's come from all the traditions around us. You know where people who lived here long before we did, develop things, and, and those work really well. So w- what I always tell people is beyond these nutrients that are kind of, it's like you got all those basic things, water, food, don't eat bad food, all that. These are just helping that. And then if you go to like herbal remedies and other things like that, they're trying to cover the bases that maybe the diet can't quite get to or whatever. Um, the other thing I do want to say, just because it's, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation and um, some 
really uh, people who have a lot of internet presence have suddenly posted some really ill-advised things in my personal opinion. There's a lot of worry about things like black elder and echinacea and other stuff causing quote unquote a cytokine storm, which everyone is, uh, you, you know, they know that that's what kills you as a cytokine storm. Here's the thing that you want to think about just to make it really, really short. And, and this comes from real live immunologists who know immunology and, and also have studied botanical medicine. I also can speak to it because I've looked at the research, but, but I do want to say this comes from people much, much smarter than me about immunology. It's a matter of uh, amplitude. So if you think of uh, an herb that does anything with your cytokines will be in the world of your immune herbs. They almost always have some plus and minus as far as cytokine triggering or dampening or whatever temporarily. And that's why they're immune herbs. They help your immune system kind of focus in and wake up. They're not doing it all the time. Now, I will say, if, if you have an intravenous herbal medicine you're putting in someone, which you're not going to, 24-7 maybe, okay? But here's the thing. If you actually look at science that they, where immunologists have said, okay, how much uh, interleukin-6 does this herb raise or this mushroom raise? And how much does this virus raise? Okay. It's on an order. The most I've ever found most is, uh, is 10 to one, meaning the virus has 10 times as much power to raise the cytokine as the herb does. And that's the most, most of them it's a hundred to one or a fraction of one. So meaning that the, the herb or whatever is, it's going to, it's going to sort of give a little push, Yes, if you're in the hospital on a ventilator, they're not going to give it to you anyway, so you don't have to worry. That's the one time when you might consider it. But mm -hmm. it's like literally an Olympic-sized pool. That's what the virus can do. And, you know, a five-gallon bucket of water throwing it into the Olympic pool, that's what any combination of herbs is going to do. So, and, and unfortunately, people who uh, have just looked theoretically they didn't look numerically. They just said, oh, it makes IL-6 go up or it makes this TNF go off or whatever. Um, they've just said, well, just don't use these herbs. And it's like, well, that, that just doesn't pan out. And I, I have personally used that whole list during, I know with patients with H1N1, uh, maybe one with H5N1, and a lot with other things that, that do cause cytokine death. So that's um, that's just something I really want to be clear about. Same with vitamin C that now for, I don't know, someone, uh, people are saying that too. If you look at what I have seen personally treating people who are very critically ill with big cytokine problems. But if you look at the Chinese data from them, literally watching people come out of respiratory failure with high doses of intravenous vitamin, and I don't mean like the, the research dose, I mean, excessively high doses like I would use here in America. Um, <laughs> they have literally have a, where they've watched people in real time recover who were dying. So mm -hmm. like the idea that even IV vitamin C is going to trigger cytokines or hurt people or whatever, it's, it, it looks good on paper and I value the people who like it on paper, but it has nothing to do with reality clinically. Uh, yeah. And I really want to make sure people understand that. Again, you need to have somebody who knows how to do that, though. Like, mm -hmm. you, you know, you don't just start doing that one day and 
<laughs> but but taking the vitamin C orally, I, trust me, you are not going <laughs> to, all you're going to do is support your body. You're not going to create any cytokine storms. Paul, what about uh, cytokines? Like we just talked about them for a few minutes, but cytokines are maybe just like uh, tell people who don't know what they are, what cytokines sort of mean and, yeah. and what, what you're sort of worried about when you talk about a cytokine storm. Right. That's probably good. I, uh, the, uh, the lack of common immunology knowledge is, uh, <laughs> I find amongst doctors, it's the worst. Um, so your immune system is incredibly complex. And the reason that you either don't get sick is your immune system that we talked about, or the reason that you may have an invader come and you feel bad for a day or two or three days, but then you get better. That's a classic example of your immune system talking to itself to fight off something. Now, something we've seen a lot of times before a virus or certain bacteria or whatever, we'll already have memory made up and we may not even notice we got exposed to those guys. But like something that's altered over a year, you know, like the common cold virus, it mutates every year and there's, you know, we, we're never quite ahead of that. We might have a bad day or two or three where we just feel you get febrile, you feel achy, all of those things, or maybe you get some digestive stuff, whatever. All of that is mediated through this big complex cascade of bug comes to you, immune system notices bug, and then there's a lot of cells involved, but the way they speak to each other is all these chemicals. And the chemicals can be uh, cytokines, chemokines, there's different names for them. But basically, there is more than we even know in number, all of these categories of these chemicals. And each cell turns on and off based on a bunch of them. So when the invader comes and the first cells get involved, they tell the rest of your body to be on alert through the release of these cytokines, et cetera. That's good. That's like how we don't die from all kinds of stuff. But it's also why you feel bad, right? It's why you can get uh, a cough. Uh, it's why your nose can get runny. It's why you get a fever. It's why you maybe ache all over or whatever, like different cytokines do different things. That's normal cytokine activity. A cytokine storm that would potentially end a person's life is normally when there is uh, a combination of an invader who is now, um, is now not impressed with your immune system because it's a, it's a new mutation that your immune system has never seen. So the invader's running amok in your body. And either because uh, in certain bacterial infections, this will be because the bacteria actually put out you know, larger uh, chunks of bacterial debris, or uh, in the case of viruses, because the virus actually stimulates overproduction of these certain chemicals, you'll get uh, usually respiratory problems, at least in this particular, like if you look at COVID-19, uh, and there, you know, the worry around the world with, do we have enough you know, ventilators and respiratory therapy and all that stuff? That's why, it's because what will take you out is not being able to breathe anymore. So a cytokine storm is way beyond the normal cytokines of natural immunity, where normally an invader has come in and, and left you with something. Your immune system has no idea why it's there, not, not prepared for it. And so your immune system way overreacts. When that happens, preventive stage, 
you're not in the first or second phases of flu-like symptoms, you're in a hospital, or at least you hope you would be in a hospital. There are ways to manage cytokine storms. These are not, this is not the first disease we've had with cytokine storms. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, like SARS, that was a, a big problem with SARS and, and to a degree, uh, you know, swine flu and all those others was the cytokine storms and where they would hit. One of the things that they're using the moderate dose, but continuous dosing of vitamin C in the ICU in China for is to keep the body from freaking out and going into these excessive cytokine storms. And what they're noticing is, and of course there's a lot of other medicines and things used when you're in the ICU. Uh, so it's not just vitamin C, but vitamin C actually is showing from the Chinese hospitals to shorten the amount of time the critically ill people are in the, in the ICU, which is great because every day they're not in the ICU, someone else can be in there and getting better. Um, and so what they're noticing is, okay, we, we already know how to use low dose steroids. We know how to use these anticoagulants and all the other stuff we do in the ICU. This is a nasty, nasty bug that gets beyond those normal drugs. If we add things, can it help? One of the biggest problems that they have, especially if you look at some, uh, not some Chinese, but Italian, uh, et cetera. I don't know why I'm pointing to the right to Italy. I don't <laughs> think it's over there in my mind. Italy's over here and China's over here. That's weird. Um, good people can't see me. I'm pointing all <laughs> over the place. Uh, but geography is not your expertise. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I just realized what direction I'm facing. And <laughs> only in my mind does Italy exist over there. But, uh, but it, the problem they're having is going back to the very first thing we talked about with mucus secretions, you can ventilate somebody all you want moving air in and out. But the second part of not dying from lack of oxygen is called perfusion, which is molecular. And if you're so full of uh, sticky mucus, especially in your alveoli, uh, the air can go in and out and you still don't get enough oxygen. So it becomes a really critical problem. So this is why like the NAC is very helpful with that. Well, what one of the mechanisms that they believe that maybe the vitamin C helps with is it mutes some of the things that make the mucus more sticky. It mutes some of the things that make the body overreact, et cetera. So it's, it's more leveling for those folks in, in the hospital. Um, and I think that that's really a critical thing because the problem that we've had, if you look from the hospital point of view during that critical time where you might, you're on the edge of life and death is, we know all the other drugs to use, but we know that with, uh, whether it's SARS or this uh, particular virus, et cetera, it's the respiratory collapse that will get you and, and will, will, will uh, cause problems. And so any addition that can help is very, very important. And, and that's, they're finding that that's actually uh, been quite helpful. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, we want to be careful, you know, about what we use and we want to be careful about triggering, you know, inflammatory responses. But if you're anywhere in the positive or unknown or negative asymptomatic, all that stuff is totally fine. If you've got early to middle flu-like symptoms, but you don't need to be in the hospital, totally fine. If you get what they're saying in U.S. anyway, I'm not sure what, I think probably same guidance in Canada is even if you've got a bad fever, but you're breathing okay, get supportive care at home. Don't come to the hospital. Mm -hmm. If you're getting to the point where you cannot breathe appropriately, uh, or maybe you have an underlying disease like asthma and you're very quickly, 
as soon as the breathing becomes a problem, you need the hospital. That's who we want in the hospital. And so if you, if you think about the mechanism of this particular virus, what takes you out or the, is this, you know, the Olympic sized pool of cytokines going crazy and you, and you need support to breathe, but you also need all this other support to keep your uh, immunity working appropriately. Well, Doc, you just said supportive care, right? So, so what would happen is if you don't have dyspnea or, or problems uh, breathing, then you need supportive care. And, and that it's like, well, what does that mean? Right. Um, it, it, well, uh, I'll like answer. in the real world yeah, situation, but, what's going to happen if, say, someone gets turned around, like you have problems breathing, you, know, you got a fever, okay. They may not even swab you if you haven't been away for, uh, you know, on a holiday or been around someone. So now you're kind of like, in this kind of limbo where you think someone may say in theory at least you need supportive care what does that mean right so in the in the absence of uh in the absence of hospitals being able to do supportive care which they're not uh they they can't even if there's just not the facility for it um the reason that the hospital systems and the government is saying you know, and EMS emergency medicine is being told stratify people. And if they can breathe, they stay home. You know, literally that's, that's the dividing line. If they're having trouble or they already have lung disease, et cetera, bring, you know, bring them in, et cetera. Um, the supportive care you would do at home really kind of goes, it, it, it it kind of comes in uh, from the point of view of you, you, you're not going to be, you're not going to be very hungry. Some, some people are showing now that's one of the first signs outside of maybe losing your sense of smell is you quit wanting to eat, which is normal with bad viruses and stuff. So what you're concerned about, and if you live alone, this is the biggest problem one to help you or you're helping someone is staying hydrated. The biggest concern is staying hydrated because if you can keep that and keep from getting dehydrated and your electrolyte shifting to a bad place, you won't, or you less likely would develop say cardiac complications or other stuff. But if you can keep breathing and you can weather out uh, the fever and the feeling horrible and all that, and just stay hydrated through however many days that is, long as your breathing stays with you and you're not having dyspnea and losing oxygen, et cetera, the supportive care is just letting your body deal with the viremia. You'll feel horrible, but not have breathing troubles and eventually it will go away. Most of us have lived through a bad flu or a real bad cold or something where you really just didn't want to exist for any number, you know, day, two or a week or whatever. Um, that's your body doing its thing. But as long as you can breathe, and it's not getting progressive that way you, you can do things to, to weather that. So supportive care, number one and all, other, you're not going to want to go anywhere. So stay put. But the other thing is hydrating. So stay hydrated. The next thing actually is, is mineral balance because one of the things we're seeing from China and now Italy, et cetera, is people's potassium levels drop and the other minerals go out. So um, one of the reasons you know, traditionally you'd be given like broth or something like that. Uh, now we know is probably all of the minerals that are in the broth and stuff. So if you can at least get fluids down, start with water, things like broth and, and stuff that would keep your mineral levels up, 
That's the most important thing. You think about it, you're going to be febrile either a little or a lot. And when you're febrile, you burn up a lot of water. It's like exercising all day long. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that kind of links back to our episode with Dr. Ben Snyder about um, needing minerals to get water. You mm-hmm. can drink all the water you want, but if you don't have your minerals, you're not going to get the water into the cell. Right. It, it's, it, yeah. it, they, they all go together. Yeah. yeah. And I have to say, I'm, I'm taking a multi-mineral because of, uh, listening to a lot of your uh, webinars, Paul, because um, I, I, I am taking zinc, but I'm, I'm having uh, it with a multi-mineral. And, and that's because yeah. of you, I mean, that, that I'm, I'm doing that. So if I live, uh, you know, it's because of you. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I have high hopes for, for both of you. I, I think, I think we, we will all live. It's all good. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think people, you know, we, we do get, a, well, depending on what you eat, you do get a lot of minerals from food, et cetera. But when it comes to like the excessive demands of either just fighting off invaders or the stress of dealing with all this or whatever, mineral, people think about vitamins more, but minerals are the reason that vitamins get to do what they do. Mm-hmm. And then there's other stuff that they do too. Yeah, there's like a bit of a hierarchy, right? Like there's right. Atoms, molecules, then, uh, you know, yeah. and then there's maybe organelles and there's cells. There's a bit of a hierarchy and, and you can't have the higher ones without the lower ones. And it's hard to get much lower than mineral, right? Yeah. Yeah. Minerals are, uh, are critical on their own, but they literally like, um, for, for everything that, that almost every vitamin does, it needs one or a group of minerals to, to bind with it, to, you know, to do its its work and uh and I, I i told this story clinically but i've literally had patients where they were taking exactly the right vitamins right for whatever their problem was no effect we added the cofactor minerals and suddenly everything works well it's like there you go you know <laughs> uh, and when you're sick water soluble stuff like minerals you're gonna you just burn through it you, you know so yeah these higher doses of things like I'm taking, I don't plan to take these forever. I'm taking them now while I know there's a lot of bad stuff out there. And I know that, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I myself have asthma. It's not terribly uh, symptomatic. I don't, you know, I, I, thankfully naturopathy has helped my asthma and all that. But I mean, I do have it as an underlying problem. So I'm, I don't need any more trouble for my lungs and, and so far so good, you know, but I'm not going to take those high levels forever. Yeah, my, my counter right now looks like a bit of an apothecary. And my kids know. My kids are like, oh, mom, I haven't had that one today. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, our house is, uh, I guess that's, if we if we have to not leave the house for a while, we're really good on supplements. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Paul, just, just to clarify, as Dave asked the question about supportive care, a lot of the things you mentioned earlier, like vitamin C and elderberry and zinc and NAC, those are appropriate in kind of mild, mild to moderate uh, symptoms. Yeah. So if you look at this, uh, the scale of no symptoms with or without the disease, and you can divide the disease symptomatically into any way you want, but I kind of look at it as early and middle flu symptoms. Okay. Mm-hmm. Early flu is I start to feel not myself. I'm getting warm, all that middle is wow i'm really warm and i ache everywhere and and i've probably still got the dry cough etc all of that totally totally safe uh it's again if you get dyspneic and your cough gets wet and you're having trouble breathing uh that's you're going to be at a hospital and and they've got other fish to fry when you're there so you're not going to worry too much about that one thing i do want to say though is there's another step which is recovery 
And in the recovery, and they write in a lot about this from China because now they've got, a, you know, many people in the recovery phase. You mean in, the convalescence phase as they used to say? Is that what you Yeah, mean? yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's convalescing. <Yes>, the, <laughs> the convalescent phase uh, or recovery. Uh, the big concern, which we saw with, uh, you look at like SARS, swine flu, all that family, uh, is pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, and that's a big concern. Uh, the shining uh, silver lining we have with that, though, is if you actually go back and you look at them, because those are diseases we have seen before, and we've seen a lot of people with them. The people that had pulmonary fibrosis in the in the convalescent or recovery phase, it didn't persist like it it goes up, but it doesn't stay high. Like it doesn't it doesn't make you have like a restrictive lung disease for a large percent of the population. If they look at large groups of people, it would go up, but then it would heal. And that's the important thing. And so what they're talking about in China is uh, traditional Chinese medicine approaches are very good at that healing end of, you know, the, the convalescent or recovery phase. Uh, traditional, you know, Western herbs or Ayurvedic herbs or other nutrient things like just keeping your NAC levels up and stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the convalescent recovery phase we can do to help and and just you're just helping the tissues re recover is what you're doing right so yes you you know the recovery phase our countries we don't have a ton of people there in china they do in and in in uh, south korea they do and what they're notice or what they're promoting is you you can do this at home this is home care we don't need you near our hospitals anymore because they're maxed out but please take care of yourself and do something proactive for recovery and you'll have less trouble in the long run. And it's true. Yeah. I think uh, the, the um, recovery um, info you gave Paul was like, really, I hope people feel comfortable with that. Like basically you said, stay hydrated, get your electrolytes, mineral balance. Like um, that's, that's kind of like reassuring to know that that's, it's as simple as that to, to, to a large degree, to make sure that you yeah. have health, to make sure that you're hydrated and, and uh, you got your electrolytes and, and all that. I, I, I didn't know that's what, I mean, I feel silly maybe admitting this, but I didn't know that, that it could be as, the basics of recovery could be as simple as that, just make sure you've got those basics. Well, and, and in, um, yeah, to, to be specific in, in the, um, the sick but stay at home phase, you know, before you peak, um, that's, that's basic supportive care. So like you, and again, it kind of goes back, it's kind of like our basic diet and all that stuff. Supportive care when you have fever, but you're still breathing okay, et cetera, you have to really focus on the basics because the person is unlikely to be able to do a whole lot more, you know, mm -hmm. uh, unless they live with someone who's going to be starting IVs for them or some other, you know, not most people don't have that. Mm -hmm. um, so you really have to focus on electrolytes, fluids, uh, and, and you won't want to do anything other than rest. And that actually keeps you from a lot of bad things. When you get on the other side and you're in the recovery phase, um, really a lot of the basic stuff we talked about for prevention becomes good at the let's heal well because you're going to have inflammation with this particular virus. It's going to be a lot in your lungs, but probably in other places like your brain and your digestive tract, but your lungs are the one we worry about right off. The nutrients and stuff we talked about for prevention then become more important later. So like if, if I went into super febrile, can't move, getting all the stuff, 
I'm going to really dial down, focus on hydrating minerals and, uh, you know, staying comfortable and keeping my physical processes moving um, and, and everything else is going to get, you know, down prioritized. Um, and I, uh, I usually mention this just because it, I, I feel it gives me street cred. Um, <laughs> I have actually had the swine flu as, as, as it's commonly called twice. I had it in the seventies when it went around. So it's good to know old people. Um, <laughs> and all of us, cause I don't know, you, you know, the swine flu came back in 09 or whatever it was. I had that one. Everybody in 09 or 08, whenever that was, I try and block it out of my mind actually. <laughs> All of us who had had swine flu in the 70s were like, oh, we got this one. This is going to be the easiest flu season ever because I don't normally get the regular flus. I, I get anything deadly. You know, it's, you go funny. big. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, I don't do the small <laughs> stuff. So I was, I was almost like all of us uh, swine flu veterans were, uh, were really too cocky. And when I got it, I thought – and I got it, and I, I had 104 fever within – 45 minutes like I knew it and I thought I won't say what I thought but I thought oh no and I and I was really really sick those of us apparently we were more likely to get it if we had it before and we got a really nasty version so I do remember and that's the last time I was really that sick was in 09 or whatever I remember there came a point in in that I didn't need to go to the hospital but I certainly did not feel well and and I I, I'll I'll just say this because it was kind of funny. I had a giant bottle of elder uh, extract liquid, and I would just I would wake up, I would drink my water, I would take the cap off the elder bottle and just drink it. It was like a thirty-two ounce giant bottle. No one else was using it, so it didn't matter. But that that was all I did. Like that was my supportive care, and I get some broth when I was conscious. You know, thankfully my wife was there, but like during that time, that's all I could really focus on was just those basic things. And, um, and then, you know, the fog lifts and, and you start to come out the other end and then you do the, you know, the convalescent or recovery stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, but the problem that people get into and especially people that live alone or maybe, uh, you know, maybe more the elderly because of situations, you don't feel good. And like, it becomes even like you don't even want to drink water anymore, let alone mm -hmm. get some broth or whatever. So you need to watch out for folks, you know, who are living alone, especially if you live with someone, they'll usually come in and say, you know, yeah, I know you don't want to, but uh, sit up here and drink some water, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. they'll keep you from dying. Uh, but if you live alone or you have, you know, elders uh, or not elders, but people, you know, who live alone, stay in contact and make sure they're hydrating. I was actually hoping you, I was going to ask you directly about that. So I'm glad you brought it up. So if someone lives alone and uh, they need some supportive care, would you, we're going to get to another debatable thing here, which is masks. Um, if they're sick, <laughs> then yeah. would you go to that, help that person and at least wear like some uh, fairly good uh, mask to help them? Cause that, that becomes a difficult situation. Then if, if they need the help just for supportive care, like uh, what do you, what do you do? Yeah. Um, so I, th I think I will also just preface this with, uh, this is my, this is my opinion. Um, and one of the biggest problems that people get into e even medical clinics and other stuff is we, we normally are not dealing with this level of infection control 
and uh, protective equipment and stuff like that. I mean, that's just not, no outpatient clinic is. We have a, we have a, a, a large hospital system in our city here, um, which is the one that had that first case that they believe came, you know, they believe the first case from China. And they have literally shut their satellite clinics down because they can't offer enough protective equipment to keep their doctors safe. And they've moved everybody into hospital and, and hospital adjacent clinics. So, so it's a big deal. So saying, well, you know, just do this and that and you, you'll be fine. You have to have a big uh, asterisk next to that to say, uh, most people don't know how to do that. Like unless you've worked in the ICU or something. But having said that, if, and here's the other thing, people will say, well, you know, the, like the regular surgical masks or whatever, they don't help, which is true. They Like if you're breathing in through that mask, it's not small enough pore size to take care of viruses. So the N95s are for that. But the thing that those masks do, if you're going to have to be around somebody, because this, this is a logistical thing that comes up and uh, we could just say like here, you know, where I've got you know, two adult children, I've got my wife and me, we've got little kids. What if one of us becomes symptomatic? And none of us are, but what if it happened? And you isolate them, but, you know, we, we're not going to throw them out into the yard or something, right? I mean, not but. yet. So, you know, we, we do care about each other. But the mask on the person who is sick keeps their airborne stuff from going too far. And right. that's, you know, so if I was going to go somewhere and help someone and just full disclosure, I am actually going to go do this when we're done here. Uh, and this person, there's just no other way for them to get help and they need some help. And I'm going to be very careful, but they're going to be wearing a mask just because they're coughing and, you know, it'll at least keep that from going in. I will be wearing a mask and not only will I wear gloves and be cleaning you know, all the stuff that they're telling you to do. Uh, but I'll be changing, especially the hand protective equipment, which is gloves, of course, uh, changing that a lot because the tactile like stuff. Now they're saying certain surfaces up to two days. It can last. You got a coughing person. You have a never ending supply of virus around. Right. So, you know, mask up the best you can. You probably won't be able to get an N95 mask, but if the person you're going to help has a mask on, that actually will help uh, a lot. And then just do uh, all the hand hygiene, but but take gloves with you, use them on the way in, change them, use them as you're helping the person, touching anything, clean again, clean again, use them on the way, different ones on the way out, clean again before you do anything. Uh, and and one, of the, one of the things that we're learning, which makes total logical sense from the Chinese hospital data is um, the biggest healthcare provider exposures are not during treating, but it's when they go to take their gear off. Um, and so what they learned is not only they take it off in a certain way, so they're not dragging the outside onto your body and stuff like that. But if you're with more, if it's more than you, you, you all take off your gear and put it on at the same time so that you're not half, you know, with your mask or your headgear off and the person next to you is just flicking, you know, virus around or whatever. So you do have to be careful. And there's no way to say that if you go to help someone, you know, you're not going to get exposed because that's how people get exposed. But I'm, you know, you do the best you can. You understand that it's like breathing in makes a lot of sense because it's respiratory, et cetera. But it's our hands that do 
a lot of the transmission. So there's me a lot of glove changes, a lot of cleaning and uh, you just do the best you can. And, and I think, um, you know, so on the other side of it, so this is not, I'm going to go see a family member who's gosh, probably younger than I am. Uh, that's wow. That's scary. Um, but they're pretty sick and they don't have any help. My dad is 92. He's going to be 93. And I, call him and talk to him and and I would certainly go help him if he needed it but he's terribly healthy uh and he's uh uh he's they, they've done social he and his wife and social isolation for the, the duration he's taking all of his nutrients uh he actually believes in what we do uh and and I call and check out he's nope we're we're doing good we're doing this and that I was like great you know if, if you need it I'll go but I'm also not going to go to somebody who's healthy and you know, potentially bring it to them. So yeah, mm-hmm. you just do what you got to do. And it, it's that way, you know, it's usually family or close friends where there's somebody who's isolated and they just get, they're too sick to do it on their own. So mm-hmm. yeah. And then you can just set stuff up that they can, that's close to them that they can access and stay hydrated. So Paul, I, I uh, just, uh, just so we can respect your time. I know you've been on calls all week here, but um, it's interesting. I lo- Dave and I love analogies. Well, Dave in particular. Dave's always include war and <laughs> gruesome, <laughs> gruesome child soldiers and stuff. But um, I thought those are the ridiculous sites, Paul. When you ridiculous. send out when you send out the ridiculous sites, those are like the Germans in 1945 when they start sending out the. the exactly. Yes, yeah. and and you can pull and that's one. you know. <laughs> Yeah, the more disturbing the analogy, the more you remember it. Well, probably. I'm not going to disturb you with this, but it's actually quite <laughs> quite elegant, like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so am I? I'm inferring that your analogies are a little kinder, gentler, sort of. I hope uh, mine are. I don't think they can get worse. But um, probably but, not. She's much sweeter than us, Paul. So we're, we hear Good. this phrase flattening the curve, right? And, right. Okay. and you know, with social, social distancing, social isolation, we're really trying to flat, flatten the curve here. Exactly, yeah. And, but that's really what we're doing with naturopathic medicine too, or the, the therapies you've talked about today. We're not saying we're preventing disease or treating COVID, but when you support those foundations and maybe give the body the things it needs, then perhaps we're, we're flattening the curve of, the intensity or duration yeah. of disease. Yeah. That's a good one. Karen. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That, and that involved no wars. No or children died. <laughs> children or, wow. Yeah. yeah that's, no, that's very, that's very good. Um, yeah, no, I think, um, and you know, w- w- with the caveat that I, it's obvious to us, but there's always people that will, you know, misconstrue what you say mm-hmm. um, <laughs> every day, but you know, with, with the caveat that yes, we we don't have longitudinal long-term data on this particular virus and anything, right? We have short-term, a little bit of data on some cool things, but um, from what I was telling people, from what I've seen in the past with similar virus that have mutated, et cetera, and what I have seen with the basics and the basic interventions and kind of working your way up taking care of the body, thinking, you know, holistically and naturopathically, et cetera, people not only, you know, people are going to get real sick, will get real sick because of their immune system, but they will also get better and they'll recover. People who may have a chance of getting a mild version of the illness or not even knowing they have it 
are more likely to, to do that with these supports. You tend to get either cytokine storms or out of balance and real ill or whatever when you're out of stuff to start with or when your, your tank is really low and then you get sick and you burn up all of your cofactors and your support things and your poor immune cells are like, we, we're going to run at 10% power. That's when you're going to get, you know, really, really sick. So I think both on the front end of keeping you at whatever, you know, whatever level of illness you are aren't going to get, the more of these things you do, the better that goes. But then on the recovery side of things, it, whatever level of trouble you get, um, you know, for example, if, if, you know, me as a well-controlled asthmatic who doesn't use medicines for it, uh, unless I really flare up. So like I'm nature, naturopathically controlled asthmatic, but if I get a lung problem at this level, I'm going to have a little more lung stuff go on. I'm going to do a lot of things to make sure I come out the other side with my lungs working as they did before. And, and that's the kind of thing that we can do. And it's not just like, it's not just us saying it here theoretically, which is true because we've all seen it and I've seen it in other illnesses that are similar, but the, the Chinese who have had a longer time with this are saying when they do their traditional medicine, which is constitutionally based and it has, you know, botanicals and other nutritional things and all that stuff, very similar to what we would talk about, people recover better. Convalescence is better and recovery is better. So it's not just us saying it theoretically. It's actually, it actually comes from, you know, what we're observing now with this actual problem. So that's, you know, we never know, you know, three of us could get a real bad version of it, even though we're isolated or we get nothing or whatever we get. Um, but doing these things, A, will not hurt and B, will keep you less likely to run out of gas during the middle and get really, really, really sick for a long time. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's what I've done with other uh, epidemic versions of these things. And I think with pandemics, it's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, listen, for me personally, from me and Kara, from our profession, from anyone who has the uh, privilege of, of uh, working with you and from everyone who gets to hear this, thank you so much, Paul. Uh, I couldn't have asked, like I said at the front end of this, we couldn't have asked for a better uh, leader in our profession uh, at a more important time. So uh, thank you so much for taking this time and uh, go out there and, and do your thing because uh, uh, only you can do what you need to do. And uh, yeah, we, we really appreciate it. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, um, I, you know, the more people we educate, the better, you know, both us doctors, but also just, just people in general. And um, the more educated you are as a patient, the longer you tend to live and the happier and healthier. So thank you so much for the, for the time and, and listening. Okay, Paul, stay healthy and your family too. Thank you. Yeah, take care. Take care.